Hello, everyone. It's Ricardo, and here's the podcast lineup for Popping Collars in May 2021. On the flagship Popping Collars podcast, Betsy, Greg, Liz, and I are talking about portrayals of mental health in popular culture. And Greg has an interview with director Ryan Daniel Dobson about his new movie, Hosea. Hear what went into making this updated take on an ancient story. Just when Betsy and Greg thought they were out, Going On 30 has pulled them back in. This month, like the Mafia, they discuss the finale of the Corleone saga in The Godfather Part 3. Children may be looking forward to summer break, but the Sacred Six is going back to school with the episode Boys of Summer. Special guest Eric Matoyer discusses this pivotal episode of The Wire. Finally, the PC Book Club is back with its regular hosts. Liz and I give our picks for what you're going to want to be reading on the beach during your next vacation. Thanks for listening and keep those collars popped. I'm Greg. And I'm Betsy. And this is Going On 30, a Popping Collars side project where just when we thought we were out, they pull us back in. They being movies that were nominated or should have been nominated for Best Picture 30 years ago this month. We're looking at the culmination, the coda, as it were, to the Godfather saga. The Godfather Part 3, or The Godfather Coda, colon. Colon. <laughs> the death of Michael Corleone. Is it death the of death of Michael Corleone? Which um, we are not looking at. We need to be clear, though. You're right. We're no, looking. we're not looking at that. We'll talk about it, but we did not. <laughs> that was the, yeah, that was the 30 We had to make a choice. Exactly. It's not a podcast comparing movies. This is going back. And looking at the movie you would have seen 30 years ago. That's right. We're doing original recipe, not extra. This is not a redo. (laughs) Exactly. Two epics. It's not personal. It's strictly business. Two classics. Films that set new standards for motion picture excellence. Don't ever take sides with anyone against the family again. 21 Academy nominations and nine awards, including two for Best Picture. I know it was you, Fredo. The Godfather. And now... Paramount Pictures presents the continuation of Francis Ford Coppola and Mario Puzo's legendary saga. We've sold the casinos. All businesses having to do with gambling. We have no interests or investments in 
anything illegitimate. Don Corleone. The Corleone family. Partners with the Pope. They may cry blasphemy. This is business. I know you're into banks on Wall Street, but everyone knows you're the final word. You're like the Supreme Court. All I want to do is protect you from these guys, and your lawyers can't do that. I said we make them dead. You give me the order, I'll take care of it. I command this family, right or wrong. You know, Michael, now that you're so respectable, I think you're more dangerous than you ever were. has not yet shown his face. If every drug pusher in this room were to drop dead, I would be the only one alive. <laughs> well, you tell for me he can live or he can die, you understand? Will you shut up? Will you shut up? Love me. You're the only one left in this family with my father's strength. Corleone. You can save the Corleone family. I'll help you. The ultimate story of family. Command me as you will. And loyalty. Give up my daughter. Power. And violence. Just when I thought I was out, they pull me back in. The Godfather, part three. They come. They'll come at what you love. Uh, Betsy, I have a brief description. Again, considering the length of this movie, a shockingly brief description of The Godfather Part Three. Would you like? Hold to on. Let me turn all the lights out in the room I'm in, so I can really appreciate. I got to tell you, by the time we're done with this year of movies, the the year 1990. We will have watched 5,000 hours of movies by the end. Oh, my gosh. Okay. In the midst of trying to legitimize his business dealings in 1979, New York and Italy, aging mafia don Michael Corleone seeks forgiveness for his sins while taking a young protege under his wing. Is it Corleone? Uh, it depends. It, it it can it can be is Corleone, Corleone the American Corleone? way to say it. Is Corleone like? I think Corleone would be like the Italian way. Right. Right. Okay. Got it. Got it. But Corleone is also said to Betsy. What's your history with maybe actually? What's your history with this movie? But maybe the Godfather saga as a whole. So I find these movies fairly masculine. Mm-hmm. They are as Martin Scorsese would say films. <laughs> and I think when I was hanging out in college with radio, television and film majors, I probably lied and said I'd seen all these movies. <laughs> I think I lied about it. I have definitely have more of a history with the movie we'll be talking about in our next episode, Goodfellas, right. than I do with this. So yeah. I think I knew it was something I should like and should know about was mm. more as opposed to having a, be something that I really enjoyed. I don't know whether I think I might have seen this movie once, and this watching it now, I've sadly now seen it twice. 
what is what's your history? Um, I love the tease about the mob movies that we have coming up on the show. We have old mob, new mob, and Irish mob all like back to back to back. So settle in. We've got a lot of mob. I think that we come at this from opposite ends because I was a huge fan of the first two Godfather movies, which would frequently show up. I want to say on USA Network. And I made a request, you know, when Christmas time rolls around and you're making like your Christmas wish list. I remember one of the things that when DVDs had first hit the market, like we want to say like 2000, you know, 99, 2000, something like that. There was a box set. Oh, yeah. And it was one of these like really attractive looking, you know, box sets. And just as a lark, I put down on my list. Yeah. And why don't you get me the Godfather series on DVD while you're at it? And I'll be doggone if my folks didn't show out to get the Godfather DVDs. And I was shocked. And it was one of my most valued possessions for a long time. I loved it, loved it, loved it. But that DVD set was probably the first time I ever saw The Godfather Part 3. I was extremely familiar with the first two movies. Did not know the third movie very well at all. Total sidebar. There's a total heyday of DVD box sets. Like mm-hmm. the Criterion Collection, mm-hmm. like all of the Lord of the Rings. Like there was a time when it was like, hell yeah, I'm going to get the box set. And it was beautiful. I mean, for all of us who miss like albums and liner notes, like it was mm-hmm. like, oh, and all this stuff. And now not so much. Yeah. Uh, the Godfather box set and the Man With No Name box set were my mm-hmm. two sort of favorites. Did it have the little Mario Puzo like hand puppet kind of thing it on did. the front of it? Yes, it, it did. did. Oh, yes, yes. it did. <laughs> uh, so, with that being said, general thoughts on The Godfather Part 3. What are your hot takes? Okay. You're running up a bill with me, Greg. So, mm-hmm. you already need to pay me back for the time I lost in my life watching The Accidental Tourist. Mm-hmm. And you have not come through on that debt. So, now we're just adding to that debt with this movie. So, I was missing who wasn't in this movie. Because then they got filled in with some other people. I mean, Andy Garcia kind of grew on me like the very dense hair on his chest. Yeah. Which I unfortunately did a screenshot of and texted to my sister. And now the the photo is trapped in our text chain. And I would like to figure out a way to delete it because. Okay. So that would be a great top five that I did not do for this. But uh, but let's do a, yeah, let's do a side by side. Andy Garcia or Alec Baldwin. <laughs> it just shocked me, Greg. It was just like I'm like, is there is there like a mink kind of blanket on like his bachelor pad bed? No, it's his chest. It was a lot going on. I was just surprised. <laughs> so much has been heaped upon the poor performance of Sofia Coppola in this movie. Yeah. Uh, she is, as we've said, not. She was not the first choice. I'm still trying to imagine Winona Ryder really, you know. Soaking up the sun and, and this, I mean, this is not female driven cinema. Right. So I, what would have been different? What would have been potentially better? I don't know. She would just, I mean, it's still this devoted daughter, very two dimensional mm-hmm. kind of character to the whole thing. I also felt like they didn't really take advantage very much of being in 79, 80 New York. 
Right. You know, I'm like, where? Come on. We could have had this be a lot more fun. Andy Garcia's club could have been a lot more fun as opposed to that weird pasta rolling situation in the kitchen. We could have had a lot more going on, but, but some, some missed opportunities there. I mean, I think this movie ends up in the, in the position Oscar wise that a lot of third movies in a trilogy end up in, whether mm-hmm. that's like your return of the King or, okay, well, we got to do something to, to honor the span of the work. There's something perfunctory about it that mm-hmm. I think it would be a huge slight and probably ruffle some feathers. Right. If it wasn't nominated. Yeah. You're hundred percent right. This movie is bad. Uh, which we said about the accidental tourist and we have to say about the Godfather part three, unfortunately, but um, I don't think that it's bad for the reasons that most people think that it's bad. The Godfather part two ends with Michael losing everything that he holds dear, which is his family, right? He's, he's made the ultimate, he's committed the ultimate sin in killing his brother right after his mother dies. So now Fredo's dead, Sonny's dead. And so, you know, this family that Michael loved to talk about, they're all gone. Kay's gone. The kids are gone. Everybody's gone. This movie tells like a kind of a hollow story of redemption for Michael, but he's either murdered or broken contact with anyone that he actually needs to reconcile with. So he's, he's like surrounded by shells of these former characters that existed in the movie, but Michael can't be redeemed because every, everybody's gone. Well, and it's what makes that confession scene with priest. Oh my God. That's the whole guy who ends up being Pope who doesn't (laughs) making it either. I um, betrayed my wife. Gone, my son. I betrayed myself. I killed men. And I ordered men to be killed. Gone, my son. Gone. It's useless. Go on, my son. Thank you. I ordered the death of my brother. He injured me. I killed my mother's son. I killed my father's son. Your sins are terrible, and it is just that you suffer. Your life could be redeemed, but I know that you don't believe that. You will not change. Ego te absolvo, nove de Padres, Filii, Spiritus Santos. Amen. That scene actually is the only real opportunity because right. everybody's gone. And with Kay. So he gets Kay's the Kay's ex wife, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it has, has that moment with her. It, it feels like there's some wider points that could be made about the corrupted parts of society and 
human nature and those sorts of things. There is something about the way that sin has attached itself to Michael that he can't get clean. No. You know, his, his sins run so deep and so raw that like he can't find absolution. And I think that that is definite. I mean, a hundred percent. Here's what I would say. Dances with Wolves wasn't a movie. We said that before. It was a miniseries. This isn't a movie either, but in the other direction. This movie, all it had to be was just the Michael confession scene. Mm -hmm. That was all this had to be. Like, it could have just been a short film of Michael doing confession. And that tells you everything that you need to know about Michael. Following The Godfather Part 2. That he's repentant. But like the priest says, he deserves everything that he's getting. Also, one last defense of the film that I'll put up as a hot take. It's intentionally operatic. Like it ends at an opera. And therefore, everything in the movie feels overdone. And I think that that's the point. Well, once you step into the camp of it all, the camp of Andy Garcia's leather jacket, you know, Joe, Joe Montana, you know, being all like this, you know, Joey Zaza. I'm so offended. You know, like the, that shootout with all the families. Like if you step into the, the overly dramatized camp of it, there is a lot to kind of enjoy. Which brings me, by the way, speaking of overdone sequels, Betsy top five, five unnecessary sequels. We had to wait a long time to get. That's that. How about that? Okay. All right. Do we have any honorable mentions? Or I do. I do have an honorable mention. Okay. Okay. All right. So my honorable, honorable mention, mention is any of the Cars movies from Pixar. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The first one. Unnecessary so sequels, good. and it seems like they always come like six years apart from each other. Go. All right. Count me down. Starting at five. Okay. All right. And the number five unnecessary sequel we had to wait a long time for is. The Two Jakes, the sequel to Chinatown. That was a long time. I think that came out this year. I think it came out in 1990. Yeah, I think you're right, because it was another, like, oh, another organized right. crime movie. Oh, my God. Everybody's going back. Although, did Polanski do The Two Jakes? I don't think so. But what was going on at this time, culturally, that there's so much? I know. I know. What I is George know. Bush up to in the White House? What's happening? Okay. I know. I know. Okay. All right. Uh, number four. Number four. Independence Day resurgence. Never saw it. I, I never saw it. Never cared to see it. Don't need it. Unnecessary sequel Unnecessary. that I had to wait a long time to get. To not need it. That's right. Okay. Number three. Number three. Crocodile Dundee in Los Angeles. <laughs> Was this the one that came out like last year? I think so. <laughs> I want to say Paul Hogan was like well into his 70s when Crocodile Dundee in Los Angeles came out. Oh, so that was 2001. I didn't know it was that early in the 2000s. Wow. Um, so in 2020, another reason why 2020 is a great year, you then get the very excellent Mr. Dundee. I can't. Is this a documentary? What is this? Paul Hogan is reluctantly thrust back into the spotlight as he desperately attempts to restore his sullied reputation on the eve of being knighted. Sullied reputation? <laughs> Paul this Hogan? also has in it John Cleese, Chevy Chase, wow. 
Wow. Olivia Newton-John. Okay, so Paul Hogan gets canceled, and he's trying to make a comeback. Got it. (laughs) Okay, enough of that. Number two. Number two. Wall Street Money Never Sleeps. Yeah. Unnecessary sequel. Had to wait a long time to get. Um, All right, so the number one unnecessary Unnecessary sequel. sequel. Had to wait a long time to get. That would be Blues Brothers 2000. Oh, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So are these all money grabs, Greg? Oh, come on. Like, okay, two Jakes, money grab. Independence Day, money grab. Crocodile, yeah, yes, they're all money grab. <laughs> I mean, is 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 this a money grab? Mm. We know a lot about the money behind it. Yes, that. it is. It is a money grab. Let's save it for the, for the big picture talk, though. Okay, got it. Let's do the best scene from the movie. I think we've both already talked about it. So my best scene is the sitting around the kitchen. After the shootout with the families, after Mm -hmm. Joey Zaza is shooting people out of a helicopter, for God's sake. Joey Zaza. You can't be doing this alone. Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. Famous just when I thought I was out. Yes. Yes. So I what I like about it is it's this reminds me very much of the previous movies, you know, having this kind of kitchen food, not so much in a you know Italian stereotype kind of way, but just kind of that you're all kind of gathered into a smaller space because it feels safer. It feels like if there's a closeness to it, but you also have a kitchen that's large enough for everybody to be in it. You kind of then at that point solidify who's on the team going forward. Gotcha. Right? Like who's going to be, you know, so at this point, Andy Garcia, we've kind of been, he's been around. We've been seeing how it's going to work out mm-hmm. for Vincent, but he just, you know, saved Michael's ass like six times in that room. Right. Like he even used a dead body as a shield. Like he is on the team. And then you have, you have Michael kind of have that, pull you back in you have michael have his like his diabetic stroke or whatever was it happening to him but that that seems like a really i really like that scene to kind of define a turn of action Mm -hmm. and connie's connie's pulling strings from behind connie's pulling strings Mm -hmm. because talia shire love her talia shire's great she's so good francis ford coppola's sister it's always a family affair with coppola You'd think that Nick Cage would show up in at least one Godfather movie. You would think. My best scene is uh, Michael's confession, hands down. I mean, that's yeah. the whole movie. So Yeah. yeah. Best performance from the movie. I have some runners up. Talia Shire's necklaces <laughs> are amazing. I think kind of setting aside Al Pacino's performance, because mm-hmm. I think he is really good. Yeah. Eli Wallach. Eli Wallach yeah. is, is a performance that I really enjoyed. Over the course of the film. I mean, how, what sort of low grade poison was happening in those cannolis that he had to keep eating them? He had he to would, get to the center of the Tootsie Roll Pop to get to he, the And it's this, this wonderful metaphor for greed, 
that if he hadn't just decided to binge that entire <laughs> hey man, he was scarfing it of the during the opera. Come on, man. Best cannolis, he would not have been dead. <laughs> you know, like he could have stopped two cannolis short and been like, well, damn upset stomach. I like he should have left the guns, yeah. taken the cannolis home. That's, that's right. what he, <laughs> that's what we learned in the first movie. That's right. But he he's I, I enjoyed him as kind of going from being because I had kind of been it had been long enough since I watched this movie that I did not remember that he ends up kind of being the bad guy. And I just what I love is that the compliments thrown his way, you know, like Joey Zaza does not have enough imagination to right. come up with the helicopter situation. Right. It had to be somebody else with much more style and panache. Exactly. And that's Montana, man, like Pacino rags on him through the whole movie. Yeah. Joey Zaza is a nothing. Come on. He's a, who cares? Mine's Pacino, obviously, mm-hmm. um, mainly because he doesn't do big Pacino often. He, I mean, he does big Pacino a couple of times in this movie. He hasn't done. I feel like for Pacino, there's pre scent of a woman and post scent of a woman. And post scent of a woman, Pacino is the one that we all know now like it's he's he's the same character in everything devil's advocate big pacino so i feel like this is the last time that pacino gave it like an honest shot like i feel like pacino is like you know what i'm gonna give him michael one more time they stiffed me for the godfather movies they stiffed me for dog day afternoon they stiffed me for all of these great things that i've done i'm gonna give them one more michael performance I would say Diane Keaton if she had more to do. There's not there is not enough Diane Keaton in this movie. I I do not like her character. Really? Not a lot of there there. And I also wow. don't remember really well one and two, so I can't pull with us and other performances here. I mean, she's kind of she's again kind of set up as this backboard off of which she gets to bounce another apology. Cause she's right. the only living person that he can do that with. All right, I got some stats. Stats, stats, stats. Let's do it. Godfather Part 3 opened on Christmas Day, 1990. Fishing for Oscars. Domestic gross of $67 million, making it the number 17 grossing movie of 1990, which is kind of low. It's lower than you would expect for a Godfather movie. Agreed. How does it stack up to the other, the grosses on the other two movies? The Godfather was $135 million. In 70s dollars. In 70s dollars. So massive hit. Man. And The Godfather Part Two was $57 million. No, so way good. down. Interesting. But that's a longer movie. I mean, that's yeah. a long, complicated movie, Godfather Part Two. So it's up from Godfather Part Two, but well down from The Godfather Part One, which I imagine The Godfather Part One box office is boosted by re-releases. Yes. So I imagine it's been re-released several times. And that's yeah. that's what accounts for the over $100 million gross. So. Uh, Godfather Part 3 is the number 1,246th top grossing movie of all time between. Exciting. Here we go. So here's your triple feature. You get The Godfather Part 3. You get that between The Forgotten. Is that that Gene Hackman movie? No. The Forgotten was a Julianne Moore 
So Julianne Moore loses her kids, right? Her kids go missing and they lose their memories that they ever well, had. Well, after being told that their children never existed, a man and a woman, and the man is our favorite from The Wire, Dominique West. Oh, there we go. Um, a man and a woman discovered that there is much bigger enemy at work. So The Forgotten from 2004 and Charlie Wilson's War, Tom Hanks. Oh, God. Charlie Wilson's War with your man from Twister. Philip Seymour yeah. Hoffman. Yes. All right. Oh. So you get The Godfather Part Three, The Forgotten, and Charlie Wilson's War. Flirt, Mary, kill. All right. Killing Godfather Three. Mm. Stabbing it in the neck with a pair of glasses. With a pair of glasses. Excellent. <laughs> Getting it done old school style. I think I'm going to flirt with Charlie Wilson's War. Uh-huh. I like the cast. But then, you know, I love me some Dominic West and Julia Moore. And I can't even, I think I've seen this movie, but I'm not sure. I know. But I like the two of them. I'm going to keep them around. I'm with you. I think that I've seen The Forgotten too, but I forgot <laughs> that I saw it. <laughs> um, that so, is some meta advertising. So we've consistently um, pretty much done the exact same thing with all of these flirt, Mary kills. So for me, switch flirt and marry. I would flirt with the forgotten and marry Charlie Wilson's war. Okay. Uh, but we always agree on what to kill. And yes, kill Godfather Part Three. It's a movie that doesn't need to exist. So. That is right. Yep. <laughs> and actually, critics seem to agree with us. Uh, it's got a 68% on Rotten Tomatoes. So pretty low Rotten Tomato score. However, low. there are two critics that do not agree with us. Oh. One of them being Roger Ebert. Oh, great. Raj says, it is, I suspect, not even possible to understand this film without knowing the first two. And yet, knowing them, part three works better than it should. Evokes the same sense of wasted greatness of misdirected genius. 3.5 out of four stars. Got it. Raj. Roger Ebert says, if you're smart like me, you will appreciate it. You'll get movie. it and appreciate it. <laughs> but if you're a dummy... Sorry. Um, Janet Maslin, film and literary critic at the New York Times, says, Most film sequels are strictly optional. The Godfather Part 3 is inevitable. And as such, it's irresistible. Oh, come on. How did it do at the Oscars? It did not win a single Oscar. However, it was nominated for, along with Best Picture, one, two, three, four, five, six... Six other Oscars. Okay. Um, adapted? Mm, no. Oh, sorry, uh, Mario Puzo. <laughs> well, wait. Okay, a couple of things. One, I don't think Mario Puzo had anything to do with this movie. It was credited because he wrote The Godfather of the Novel. Oh, for and originating the character. is that the novel only covers what happened in The Godfather and Godfather Part Two. It doesn't. That is, that is a red flag, friends, for any sequel. Right. <laughs> When the book, I mean, we can we can debate some George R. R. Martin, whatever you want to get into. When you go beyond the scope, right, of the writer having the creative time, create yes. what they're going to make. That's right. This Red this flag. movie exists north of the wall. <laughs> yeah. So, but this is the thing. Like, do you nominate this for score again? Uh, no, not nominated. No, for I mean, because it's like. Another another kind of thing here. Uh, but you're kind of close, so I'll give you one. Yeah, give it me. did win. It did get nominated for best original song, which is "Promise Me You'll Remember," which I think is the song that his son sings. Uh, there's two big. Al Pacino ones. gets nominated, right? No, 
No, doesn't even get nominated. Wow. Um, but there is an actor nominated, Andy Garcia, Best Supporting Actor. There's another big one that I think you could get based on who made this movie. Coppola? Yeah, Best Director, he? Francis Ford oh. Coppola. Yeah. Oh, that's too bad. Which means that he lost to Kevin Costner. Whenever we talk about all these great directors that are getting nominated this year, just remember, they all lost to Kevin Costner. Just remember. So let's see. We've got three more. I'll go ahead and give them to you because they're a little complicated. Best cinematography. Yeah, whenever there's like a shootout scene or whatever. Large group gathering. Best set direction. Okay. I guess. And best. It's like, can we make this church darker? Yes, we can make this church darker. More, (laughs) less lights, less lights. Okay, got it. And And best film editing. Not sound editing, film. Thank God. Okay, so it got no sound. It did not get sound. I spent my life protecting my son. I spent my life protecting my family. Let's be reasonable, okay? That's your big thing, isn't it, Michael? Reason backed up by murder. Oh, God. You hate me. You hate me. Dread you. I did what I could, Kay, to protect all of you from the horrors of this world. But you became my horror. Let's uh, let's talk about the legacy of this movie, which, in a very meta way, the legacy of this movie is that term. It's legacy. This mm-hmm. movie is a meta commentary on our big idea, which is legacy. Uh, The Godfather movie series has a huge legacy. Even when this movie comes out, and even now, like it has a, it has a big legacy because the first two movies were so well received. The Godfather part three comes along as kind of a, we talked about it before and it's, it's, it feels a little bad to say this, but It's a way for Francis Ford Coppola to use his biggest bargaining chip to leverage a payday. It's it's unfortunate to say, but Francis Ford Coppola needs money. The studio would like another Godfather movie. And so that's how you end up with The Godfather Part 3. So it's a movie that's based on your legacy, but it doesn't actually have anything new to say. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, you look over the core trajectory of his career. He's been doing a ton of producing. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is this is maybe the most clear example that we've seen so far in this project that we've been doing of movies are an art form and a business, mm-hmm. right? That that like this is a medium that yes is you know communicating feelings and thoughts on film. But at the end of the day, it exists to make money. Because yeah, the first two movies, it's like, boom, boom, 72, 74. Like you're in it. And then just this long gap. Just too long. Too long. And there's long. nothing to say. No. I mean, uh, ultimately, all he's really doing in this movie is just telling the same story from the first movie. I mean, is it sad? So, you know, people use this language a lot, especially with things that they love or franchises that they love that like 
oh, George Lucas making the prequels like ruined my childhood or something. But like, do these people owe fans anything? Like if they have a, something that they can make and someone's willing to pay them to make it, isn't that fine? Like, yeah. I mean, it's more when you're talking about people who are very invested in the canon and the story and they, they, they look for the, they are looking for the ultimate sins of how right. have, have you sullied the entire experience? Mm-hmm. By the presence of Jar Jar Binks, you know, right. have you now ruined Star Wars because right. of X Y Z? Did Sofia Coppola's presence as Mary ruin it all? Like, there's something kind of religious and fanatical about people's devotions to these things. Sometimes, mm-hmm. I do have a question though. This mm-hmm. is probably a good question for you and me. Are Gen Xers the only generation that cares about the concept of selling out? Maybe because our parents created pop culture to a certain extent, their drive to satiate the baby boomer audience drove what would be considered popular. Uh So that then in order to create the next level and ranges of culture that you have to then have, there needs to be this undercurrent that's not being paid attention to, or that isn't buying into like, there's some credo to that. I would say though, that, you know, 1960s culture, late 60s culture, definitely had vibes around selling out and that sort of thing. But you did want to become the biggest rock band in the world, too. So I don't I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, I don't see it in I I, certainly I don't see millennials or Gen Z's like caring about the idea of selling out like they're perfectly comfortable putting all of their business on Front Street. And if somebody wants to pay them for it, then great. Like in a lot of ways, that's the goal. Yeah. But I, I don't see that with Gen Xers. There's a great, there's a great movie that's on Netflix right now called the 40 year old version mm-hmm. that kind of gets at this idea of like what happens when you're pulled between artistic integrity and writing a hit and like, you know, what's it worth to you? One other question mm-hmm. real quickly. How big of a cultural influence does this generation of movie brats which is like Spielberg, Scorsese, Coppola, Lucas, who else? De Palma. I don't know whether he's beardy enough. To be like, I'm trying to think of all those USC people yeah. that came up together. Yeah. Like, how big of a cultural influence do they have over society? Because you're talking about all of Spielberg's stuff, all of Scorsese's stuff, all of Coppola's stuff. Well, and to be able to paint a picture of what sort of Americana we're nostalgic for. Right. Right. Oh, Zemeckis. I would put Zemeckis there too. I think he's one of them. I mean, so there's a lot of white guys controlling how we're going to, how, what I should be sentimental about. Right. What does America look like? What is childhood supposed to be like? What is, what is good? What is bad? What does justice look like? Who are the heroes? I mean, it's a lot. It's a lot. I mean, their footprint is huge. And as you you move away from, I mean, we have the gift of having lived through some of the time period that they're writing and doing movies about. So we know the nuance, but we all know the further away you get from that, the narrative starts being written. Right. And starts to fold in on itself. So you have like a J.J. Abrams, who's a Spielberg disciple, making a Star Wars movie, which is a Lucas franchise, which, I mean, you know, it just, it all starts folding and folding on itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Anyway, legacy is complicated. And certainly for this movie, I think it's complicated. So with that said, who is this movie for? I mean, it's for the people I think devoted to this franchise, even if they might vote it off the island. I mean, so devoted to this franchise that people are super interested in a re-edit of this movie. <laughs> and if you go on, if you go on to like Coppola's page and, you know, you look at these other things, there's then like, you then have the Godfather trilogy, 1901 to 1980. Yeah, I think it's for, it's for the people who love this series, who felt like there was, there wasn't an end and they're going to go on and they, they feel they want to force an end. Yeah. Beyond, you know, what Mario Puzo had planned. Right. Or that just weren't satisfied with the end being Michael regretting the death of his brother, ordering the death of his brother. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. So I have, I went a different way. I said that this movie is for the Coppola Vineyards Capital campaign. <laughs> <laughs> yes. This is why we have Coppola wine, this movie. Yes. <laughs> That is true. <laughs> so enjoy the next time you're at your local Publix, Safeway, whatever. I don't know enjoy, what shelf enjoy the fact that the Godfather Part Three paid for your wine. That's you. right. That's right. Uh, what is your rating for this movie out of five? One. Yeah. Wow. That's to really you know have my spread happen you know a little better here. I tend to get all bunched up in the threes and Did the you fours. Accidental tourist a one. You're saying you would rather watch Accidental Tourist than this. Then I would go back and change that other one. Because <laughs> I would rather watch this movie than watch. Okay. All right. Accidental Tourist. Um, yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. I give it a 1.5 okay. out of five. And was, that a de- I, was that a deference point five? Was that a well it's you, it, honestly the, it was probably the confession scene bumps it up a little bit. Yeah. Uh, my thing is that it's it's an obvious cash grab. It adds nothing to the Corleone saga, with the exception of Michael's remorse over the death of Fredo, which you could argue we got at the end of part two. So, so it's it's a disappointing watch, but it's also disappointing that it even exists as a movie. Like it's it's just unnecessary. This you know, is, this is one of this is our second like real skewer on this show. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, listen, we we didn't have a whole lot of love for driving Miss Daisy, but I mean, there's stuff in that movie that to like. Yes. Uh, there's stuff in this movie to like, but it's I mean, it's hard to justify what it's actually doing as a movie. <laughs> One final, very last question. Yes. Why did the Academy nominate this movie? I feel like this is as silly as why did the Academy nominate Dances with Wolves? Right. Because if they had awarded the other two, nominated and awarded, to then not nominate this one. Right. That would have been burning some bridges. Yeah. This movie was nominated for an Academy Award when it was announced that there was going to be a Godfather Part Three. <laughs> like, there's. Yes. It is because of the legacy of the first two movies. Like, that's why this movie was nominated. I will also say, sneakily, there are a lot of good movies in 1990, but not a lot of good Oscar movies in 1990. Not a lot of like prestige pictures. Like more like a lot of total recalls and stuff, you know, <laughs> things that are fun to watch, to, but aren't going to get nominated. I still think we need to dig into why so many 
organized crime movies happening. That's true. I think yeah. we still by the time something. we get to the end of Miller's Crossing. I, I mean, thank God we've got many opportunities to talk about it. Boy, do we because settle in. We've got the Empire Strikes Back of mob movies coming up <laughs> next. That's right. On our list, which is uh Scorsese's uh, Goodfellas, which it was probably the best movie of 1990. So, Betsy, we've run into a situation again, kind of like we did with 89 and Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing, where we've already seen the winner. And so now we get to compare it to what people feel is kind of the spiritual winner of yes. the year. So, that'll be interesting. Love me some Ray Liotta. Ready. <laughs> That's right. So, that is it. We will have Goodfellas for you next time on Going on 30. Betsy, thank you so much for taking a stroll through the Sicily countryside, eating a few oranges along the way. The people here have been through so much (laughs) with this movie. They have suffered so greatly. (laughs) We'll see you next time. Bye.